Tonight, we're talking about this topic, evangelism. I first want to define it. Now, some of you have already walked through a number of series that we've done. Some have touched on evangelism. Some have touched on speaking to secular people. I really want to try tonight to talk about a narrow part of it. Not everything we've ever talked about in the past. I'm trying to differentiate it. Because when you hear the topic evangelism, you go, we covered that already? I'm talking about a specific type of evangelism. So I'm going to give you probably an artificial definition tonight. Here's the definition I'm going to use. Evangelism, and I made this up. It's a made-up definition, but it's going to kind of focus us. Is an intended course of action or campaign to introduce people to the gospel message and to assist them in making a decision for Christ. In other words, you're going out of your way to seek people to have them think about or engage the gospel message. It's not something that accidentally happens, not a lifestyle type thing. I'm trying to keep out like lifestyle evangelism. Some of you call it friendship evangelism, you know, that, that, that unique ministry that God has given you to go to the movies with people, you know, and hope that it might bring up a conversation about Jesus in the midst of watching another horror movie with your friends, okay? That ministry that only you have, okay? I'm contrasting it with witnessing, okay? So I'm, we're not talking about witnessing. This is what I think witnessing is in my artificial hypothetical world. Testifying about the work of Jesus Christ in our life and responding to questions about Christ and Christianity when we're called upon, okay? So when I'm talking about evangelism tonight, I'm talking about let's get up as a group right now. We can either do training or not and go door to door and knock on people's doors and talk to them about Jesus. Or tomorrow at work, I'm going to give you like a little thing to follow and you walk up to people and go, hey, let me ask you a question. Like if you were to die right now, where do you think you would go? Like a kind of like an intended program, okay? You're on the path. Yeah, it's proactive. It's intended. Like the whole purpose is clear. Okay. Not, not through relationship, just, just on your own. So that's, if we define evangelism that way, here's the question. Should we abandon evangelism? Should we abandon it as a concept that no longer works in our present day? Should we just give up on it? And if you're going to take one position or another, I'm going to really push you on them. So think about how you'd answer it. Should we just ditch evangelism? What doesn't work about it? I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm saying, should we ditch it? I don't think we should ditch it. Okay, why not? Well, Jesus already said, go throughout the world and spread the gospel. I'm not arguing with you. Is that, is that your reason? So you're saying we should evangelize. Why? Because that's like, if evangelism is supposed to be presenting the gospel, and it's like, and he says, go through all the world, that means if, if how are missionaries supposed to get there if they don't go there and actually... Okay, I want to, and I, this is probably unfair because I didn't say this, I want to carve out missions for a moment because we're going to talk about it separately. We're going to talk about missions next week. Give me an example. All right, next Sunday, instead of coming here, we're going to all meet, and we're going to walk around the neighborhood, we're going to knock on doors and ask people if they want to receive Jesus. What's the matter with that? That's what I'm asking you. Is there it's nothing? Fine. Okay. Isn't that what the disciples did? They walked through the doors, and they said, hey, whoever doesn't accept you, wipe the dust off your feet. Right, so you're okay. in favor of it. Yeah. So we got one person saying we should keep it. Anyone want to ditch it? I think the forms don't work. Some of the forms that we've been sold on do not work. All right, some of the, like what forms don't work? The guy with the bullhorn on the corner of the street with people that are getting ready to go to work are going, this knucklehead doesn't even know me, and he's saying, you know, turn and run type of stuff. But is that really evangelism? Sure it is. He thinks it is. That person thinks 
gets done and says, well, people didn't accept it, but I did what I was supposed to do by the power of the Holy Spirit, but in their heart they're thinking, I did something very spiritual and very proactive. So a guy with a sandwich board, a guy with the bullhorn, those guys, big sign. I think a lot of religious segments would pat you on the back. Could you up there for four hours? Dude, you are sold out for God. And I'm not saying that that's not a good effort. I'm just saying it may not be even wise or prudent or remotely connecting to anybody what other forms don't work? What about like, what do you, what do you think about like door to door? Yeah. Just to expand that, that some forms might not work, but also in some arenas it might not be appropriate. I could maybe go door to door in some places, but not door to door in some other places. I might be able to go to my work and just ask everybody in some places, but I personally can't go to my work and just ask everybody about God. I'll get fired quickly. So being sensitive not only the form, but the place, yeah. the arena. Okay, yeah. I feel like that's not answering the question. It says, as a concept that no longer works in the present day, there's no, there's no sum and if and that. It's like, does it work or does it not work? That's the question. Yeah, does it work? I said yes. I agree with the, the different forms. I'm just saying I want to hear what people have to say. All right, yes or no. How many people think we should abandon evangelism? Nobody thinks we should abandon it. It's like voting against Jesus, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys don't even... You, all right, so nobody's going to abandon evangelism. Not as a concept. Here's a follow-up question. It's probably up here. We'll come back to that one. If you're a supporter of evangelism, give us some personal examples of how you evangelize. Since you guys are all in favor of evangelism, nobody's going to say we should ditch it. Let's hear about how you evangelize. You want to go around the room like an order, or what do you guys want to do? Me? Yeah, how do you do it? You raise your hand, right? I feel sometimes if you force the message, then it's almost not a good thing. Okay, but that's not the question I asked. The question I was asking was, how do you evangelize? Like, how do you do it? I would evangelize by actually getting another person. Would or do? Do you actually do it? I, I, I did it, yeah. Okay. So, I'm going to hold that. Anyone else have a, another way they evangelize? Yeah. When I was in college, I went down to General Hospital every Friday night, smack in the middle of that way. And on any given Friday night, there's probably 27, 30 people on a stretcher bloody beat up from a motorcycle accident, from a stabbing, from whatever, waiting to get uh, emergency care. And we, uh, we at one time had 10 to 20 people that just went and prayed for people. Can I get you a glass of water? Yeah, doctor can't see me for two hours. Well, are you doing all right now? I'm just dying over here. I'm, I know I'm not going to die, but I'm like, I'm bleeding and I'm like really scared right now. Can we pray for you? And just be a friend with them while they're waiting. And people were like, God, thank you. I'm really scared right now. And it was because they were so needy, it was probably the most fruitful time I've ever seen in evangelism. And we plugged people, where do you live? Van Nuys, man, church on the way is out there. Where do you live? Over here. And just trying to plug people into fellowships that would help them, you know. Yeah. One thing I've done, um, down in Pasadena, Old Town Pasadena, you know, where people carry the big signs that you're going to hell, all these sins and all these, these things. Uh, there's, there's like the guy making things and selling things down there on the sidewalk and I just sat down next to him and started talking to him like, hey, what do you think about that? And just had a discussion about it and saw what he thought about it and tried to like help him with a like more of a Christian point of view and stuff. And then I even saw him again in um, Santa Monica, the promenade and talk sat and talked with him again then and just prayed for him and stuff. How many people have, this is an intentional effort to evangelize, that's what we're defining it as. How many people have evangelized in some way or another in the last three months? Some people did. Okay, those of you who sit in the front row looking for extra credit, good, awesome. 
The reason I'm asking that question is because if everyone agrees that we should keep evangelism, the, real, the next logical question is then why are not many people doing it? And if you ask people that question, their answer usually is because it doesn't work. That's what they say a lot of times. Now, of course, it probably is because we're not interested, busy, have other priorities, lazy, whatever their thing may be. But when you really press people, the number one answer they usually give you is because it doesn't work. And that's why I brought the question up. If it doesn't work so well, why are we keeping it? But you guys are saying we should keep it because nobody would vote against it. Uh, I think for me, I feel like it would be easier for me if I had like somebody that I can go with because you have someone to kind of be there and support you. And I feel like if you're out there by yourself, you're like, you know, you're just a big target because it's, it's, you can do it, you know, but it's, it's a lot harder to actually get out there and, okay, cool, I'm gonna do this by myself. I and mean, you gotta have a lot of confidence in the Lord, you know? I feel like if, if you had some sort of like team or like, you know, something where it's like, hey man, let's go out, let's go hang out, sure man, let's go do it. Cause you have someone that like gets excited about it with you. And I feel like. Okay. Yeah. I think I totally agree with Ron. I wouldn't say that evangelism doesn't work, I would just say it's really awkward to do, especially when it's one-on-one. -on -one. Because yeah. if it's one-on-one, -on -one, then you feel like you have to have all the answers for the person, which you don't, I know, but you feel that way. Or if it's two-on-one, -on then you feel like you're, you know, hounding the guy. Or if it's one-on-two, then they're hounding you. It's just, it's not easy to do. Does that mean it tends to not work? Is that your... I, I've seen it work. I, I don't think it works for everybody. But I think there's certain people out there who are looking, and given the chance to accept it, they will. Okay, Ryan, you also mentioned that you said that you want to, you like to do evangelism through a relationship, right? But again, if I'm defining evangelism as an intentional course of conduct, are you actually saying I'm going to build a relationship with people that aren't Christian specifically, so I can figure out a way to introduce them to the gospel, or are you just saying, eh, with some of my friends, I try to see if it comes up? I think that there's a certain people that you have a connection with, whether your intentions are to be friends with them or whether they're evangelists. Obviously, like our intention should let people know that we have that we're saved, like, and you want to, you know, show the love of Christ to them, you know. Uh, but there's, I think there's some people that you click with, and there's some people that you don't. Like some people, I can't go up and 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 share God's word with, but someone else that has like a different sort of background can go up and they can relate to that person. Okay, let me unveil the mystery of what I think about it, just because I want to hear what you guys thought first. I think people fall into two camps on evangelism. There's the people who always vote and say, yes, it works, but don't do anything with it. So you really have to ask, do they really think it works? Because they're not really doing it. So that means that maybe they think it doesn't work. And I want you to work that out. It's not an accusation. It's not a conviction. This whole series is trying to focus our, our, our vision on the issues that maybe we're not seeing so clearly sometimes. We all vote that it works, but I think some of us secretly think it doesn't really work. So just identify that and see if that comes to the surface. There's other people who think on the other extreme, of course there's always people in the middle, but on the other extreme that evangelism is something we have to do almost like a military. We have to like fight, win people over, capture people for Jesus. And that one, some of you already know, I can just tell from the comments, probably doesn't work so well either. As some of you said, probably does more harm sometimes than good. But I don't think we can ditch it. Here's some scriptural references, so it's not just our opinions. 
You guys have already identified the Great Commission in Matthew. There it is again. So Jesus specifically said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So we've always got it as a direct commandment. That's probably why none of you would vote to ditch it completely. I have a difficulty before that. Okay. Um, go you therefore and make disciples. It's not go, Jamie, and talk to somebody for five minutes and then feel bitching about myself or wipe my hands off. It's like you did not make a fully devoted disciple. You know what? I'm really glad you brought that up because I struggled with the exact same word as I was reading this and decided to go a little step deeper because I'm glad that somebody critically is looking at the Great Commission because a lot of times in the church, we use the Great Commission for a lot of things without actually reading the wording in it. So some people have said, well, the Great Commission really is about missions to go somewhere. And it is about that. Some people have pointed out that it doesn't make any sense to go unless you make disciples. And we're big in the church about making discipleship a big part of it, which, by the way, is correct focus. That just having somebody say a prayer and then saying, all right, well, it's nice meeting you. See you later. Probably is leaving them to fend for themselves as a baby in the woods. You probably would never do that. But I was thinking the same thing you were, which is, does this verse support an intentional action to go out and just tell people about Jesus, whether you do or do not have discipleship and long-lasting relationships to follow up? And here's what I found in Acts 8. This is the end of when Stephen is being stoned. Saul, before he turns into Paul, is persecuting the church. So he's happy that Stephen is being put to death. On that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So there's a scattering of the church. Notice what it says in verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. What's that mean? Why am I using this verse? We have the disciples of Christ being scattered. The believers are being scattered except the apostles. So a lot of times the apostles had special rules. You know, we say, well, we're not an apostle. They were unique. It's not about the apostles. It's about the regular followers of Christ. As they're being scattered, they went about preaching the word. Here's the impact. Preaching the word in the translations comes from a specific Greek word, which is euangelizo, which is where we get the same word evangelism. In other words, what they were doing was evangelizing. Commentators who look at this passage talk about that this beginning right here, the persecution of the church in Jerusalem and the scattering of the people is what's going to accomplish the most amazing feat that any religion has ever pulled off, which is from this handful of Christians Within 300 years, the entire Roman Empire is going to be converted over to Christianity. In fact, most of the known world will eventually be converted over to Christianity in a very, very short time. Around the time that Constantine declares Christianity to become the official religion of the Roman Empire, which is almost exactly 300 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, people believe that within 200 more years they'll be able to evangelize every person on the earth. That was their goal. They were within reach because so much had happened within the first 300 years. What does that mean to us? Well, this preaching the word, this evangelism that they were doing 
must have been more than just the type of relational evangelism that we engage in sometimes. Not knocking relational evangelism. It's a method. But there is an intentional, looks like, effort to spread the word. Because how else could you get? Well, look, the Holy Spirit is behind it. God is behind it. I'm not trying to make it like the effort of men made this happen or women. What I'm saying is that it couldn't have just been, I'm going to get to know this person and work with them over my lifetime. Because in 300 years, which is, how many generations would that be? Five, six generations? The world is evangelized. Again, you've got to count the Holy Spirit. You can't, you can't take that out of the equation. So I'm not trying to say, wow, those guys were great and we're not. What I'm saying is they were on an intentional path to do this. They really took their obligation seriously this way. Yeah. And what if you're shy and you don't want to talk? What if that's not like you're, you're, you're not outgoing? Like, is that you? Like, like Moses? What, what, what if I'm shy and like, I just don't want to respond to God in worship? Is that acceptable? No, it's not acceptable. <laughs> I don't want to miss the point in evangelism. Because there are some people who say, what if I, you, you start with, what if I'm shy about evangelism? And I think there are biblical examples of that. There are some prophets who resisted the call completely. All right. And then you got a guy like Moses who's like, I don't even speak well, meaning potentially I stutter. I'm not sure that I'm supposed to be the, the spokesman for a whole people. This is not my task. And, and talking about the two by two stuff, he said, take Aaron with you. Hide behind him. <laughs> Let him knock on the door. Okay? There are examples like that that we have in Scripture. Notice also that, you, that we have to underscore that if you're really going to step out there, you cannot ignore the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Peter on Pentecost spoke in multiple languages to multiple people. And the guy who denied Christ and ran away from him and was scared to say that he was one of the followers is the guy that steps up and gives the whole Pentecost message. I mean, he's the uneducated fisherman guy who's suddenly speaking eloquently about these things. So, and you're not asking, is this your primary gift? Right. You're just asking, is this a responsible thing for a mature believer to do? Yeah. All right, let me, look, let me go through these because I want to show you a couple more things. Some of you are highlighting some of these things. And these are some opinions and some things that I've pulled from other people just to kind of get you thinking. You ask what I think of why evangelism doesn't work sometimes. Here's some of the reasons just to think about. And this is, again, to flush out which camp you're in. Are you in the camp that says, oh, yeah, it totally works and doesn't do it because you really don't think it works? Is it because you think, no, evangelism, the only thing Christians should be doing, they should be knocking on doors every day. That's sometimes dangerous. Here's some things I think don't work. One, it can be forced. Some of you guys have talked about that. It can be awkward. I've already heard that word come out of somebody. That's, sometimes it's awkward. I think you do have to consider the forum and the form, like we talked about, the place you're doing it. Sometimes it might be a little crazy to just knock on somebody's door and start talking to them. Just put yourself in that place. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it may be wrong for that person. and You have to be sensitive to that. It may have limited effectiveness. Some of you have highlighted the fact that sometimes there's no discipleship that goes on with it. Your goal is to just say your piece, say your script, follow your outline, and not really get to a point where even if they were receptive that you're really doing any discipling, you're just trying to lead them to a decision, trying to herd them into a narrow gate, get them through, get them through. All right, let's go get, go get another one. It focuses on the process, like that outline, that script that you're following, or the prize, trying to think, I'm going to win a soul today, but not the person. Notice I get points in the Christian Scrabble because I use three Ps, you know? <laughs> Process, prize, person. Don't Christians love to do that? Okay? 
So I get, I get points in the Christian Scrabble. I use process, prize, and person in one sentence, okay? Next one, it's the same, almost the same thing. It turns people into projects. People don't want to be a project. People don't want to be a butt in a seat. People don't want to be like one more soul that you win. When you come back from a missions report or something like that or evangelism outreach and you go, 72 people accepted Christ. They don't want to be one of the numbers. And I think it unleashes unprepared Christian evangelists on the masses. That one's kind of maybe a little colorful statement of my own. But how many times have you seen? I mean, some of you have talked about Christian witnessing efforts or evangelism efforts that actually sets back the cause because we're just turning people into machines to go out and do it. That's one view. Here, let me give you an example. You guys know this book, Evangelism Explosion? Everybody heard of it? Kind of teaches you a whole methodology of how to evangelize. So I was looking through it to see if I could learn some tips. And I got most of these things about what doesn't work just from kind of reading through this thing. Now, Lena told me that so many people worship this book like it was the Bible. I can't attack it in a recorded thing. So if it's really bad later, we'll edit it out. But let me just, I mean, I was just flipping through this thing and it was talking about how, like, you got to stay on the script, how you got to follow this thing and make sure. At one point, for example, it was talking about what if people object to something or ask a difficult question in the midst of you getting through your gospel outline. Here's what it says. If he raises the question, it can be put off in the following way. I mean, that's what the word is. It can be put off in the following way. I mean, how would you like to be just put off? You know, here's how you put them off, by the way. They give you a, a thing to follow so you can put the person off. That's an interesting question. And I would love to discuss it with you. If you don't mind, would you hold it in abeyance until we finish what we're talking about? And if you bring it up at then, we'll take a look at it together. That's the answer you're supposed to give when someone interrupts the gospel presentation to ask a tough question like, well, I'm not really sure. Like, how do you know there's a heaven? You say, that's an interesting question. And I would love to discuss it with you. Then you go on to tell them to just basically, please hold your questions to the end. Hold the questions and applause until the very end, okay? Here's another one. You can actually order a pin and wear it that has like two question marks on it. When you wear the pin, people will ask what it means or what the two question marks stand for. Reply with something like this. There is a great deal of uncertainty in the world today. People have so many questions. But when certain key questions are correctly answered, things come into focus. Two key questions have helped me greatly. Before I found the answers to these questions, my life was, and then you insert your personal testimony there. And when you're done with your personal testimony, you say, now that I have found the answers to these key questions, my life has changed. And you give the rest of your testimony about how it's changed. Would you like to know what the questions are? And will you promise to give me your answers as well? I'm not going to, there's some great topics in here, but it's formulaic. It turns people into projects. As I flip through the pages of this book, it talks about, I mean, it, it used words that I thought like sounded more like you were trying to win and count and battle. And those are the kind of things that were in here. It's not bad. Somebody's got to have an approach. This is a whole training manual for how you can get your church out there in twos, like some of you were talking about, to go into the neighborhoods and into places of work wearing the pin. If you get the certification, you can wear the pin. So people ask you, you can read them that long memorized answer. I think, I think there's better ways. And God can use this, by the way. I'm not, you're not going to say this program doesn't work. All I'm going to say is, if those are the pieces we used, I think we'd have some trouble and this would be true. But I also learned some things that do work from looking at the same program and other programs, by the way. Here's some that do work. Why does evangelism work? Because it's intentional. 
Now I'm hammering on the other people who think that they're just going to like stumble into a conversation with somebody after being their friend for 25 years or 15 years or five years. Maybe if you go to enough movies or have enough dinners or, or go to the same class long enough, you'll actually talk about Jesus accidentally one day. One area where I think evangelism does work and where a book like this at least starts to get you thinking about how to do it is that it is intentional. If they were able to move Christianity throughout the entire empire in such a short period of time, look at all the technology we have today to communicate, all the communications technology we have today. Here's an article I was researching when I was doing this talk. This is a guy who's writing in Discipleship Journal, and he's telling people how he witnesses to the world by going onto chat rooms and talking to people about Jesus in chat rooms. He doesn't even leave the house. And I was kind of reading this kind of skeptically, thinking like, oh, that's great. Because if you ever watched a religious chat room, it's just like all sorts of people yelling and screaming at each other electronically back and forth, and people can anonymously post the worst things you could ever imagine, and most of it is utter chaos, and nobody's really... Nobody has to justify their positions, and, and most of them cite biblical passages totally out of context. But then I read a little bit deeper, and I thought, you know what? I mean, somebody's got to do it. Why not this guy? I don't know that he's doing weird stuff. Maybe he's doing good stuff. Maybe he's really engaging people in different countries that he can't get to physically because we can get there electronically. Between cell phones and email and chat and some message and, 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 and message boards and blogging and webcasting and podcasting and everything in the world today, at least this is an intentional effort to get the word out there somewhere. And that's why I think evangelism does work, and that's the, that's the essence of it, because a lot of us are just kind of hoping that eventually our friends will kind of bring us into the right conversation instead of saying, how can I love this person in a way that's going to get us into the midst of this conversation? Not because they're a project, but because I really care about them. Number two, I think correctly done, it honors God and gives them an opportunity. In a lot of the examples that you'll see, it's really God who comes in. We're not going to do the convincing. We're, it's God who's going to do that. But at least by being intentional about finding the opportunities, it gives God a chance to work. He can't use us if we're, not being, if we're just on the sidelines. It can also be flexible. In the same book that has all these kind of weird formulas sometimes for answers that I think are goofy. There are some pretty flexible things in there, and these are just some of them. We should be inviting questions, just like you did when you said, what do you think about those people? Jesus often used questions to get to the heart of things. It also involves questions, like people can ask stuff back, like, hey, because it's a two-way dialogue. You might ask a question and let questions be asked of you. And you could take ordinary, everyday events, and it doesn't have to start with, do you want to know what the Bible says about that? <laughs> that can be really forced and awkward. But it could lead there if you're skillful at learning to ask questions. Well, why do you think that? Well, what would be the standard? Well, who would be right about that? And maybe just starting to, maybe it takes three or four conversations. It's not like every conversation they had to drive it right in. Build some credibility, build some rapport, build some relationship, build something with that person. That's why I say it creates a two-way dialogue. Unfortunately, a lot of what I found in this book was a one-way dialogue. You have a goal. It's not always there. They, they talk about the others, but it's too much of you trying to get through the outline. And I think that won't work. But what about those dialogues we're talking about? That's different than just saying, I have a friend, and eventually we're going to get there. No, you're trying to be intentional. And I think the last one says it intersects life stories and experience. It makes our stories and their stories. It's got to be both. 
to see if we can find some common ground and maybe link it back to the gospel. You mentioned free hot dogs when we first started talking, which was something that this group did many, many, many years ago. You know, And that idea was innovative for one reason. All we did was go down to the beach, we set up a tent, we just started barbecuing hot dogs and giving them away. And people could, if they wanted to, talk. When people said, why are you giving these away? Go, well, we're just talking to people about Jesus. But you don't have to talk to us. But we found out that the people wanted to do it. They just kind of voluntarily said, I'll do it. You know? So that was one way. It was a disarming way. But there are others if you intentionally go about a course of conduct to do it. Okay? You guys know that like two years ago, how long ago has it been, when we did the Da Vinci Code series? I used to actually take the book and go sit in coffee shops and read it. Just because I knew that if I put the, pulled that book out in a coffee shop, at least one person would walk up and go, hey, what do you think of that book? You like that book? And it, and it just opened up the conversation. And I wouldn't say like, oh, this is a horrible book. I would say, it's a good book. And I would always use the same thing. I'd say, I'm reading it to find out how it differs from Christianity. And they would always ask the follow-up, how does it differ? And now they've actually opened up the dialogue to say, well, there's just some important things that differ. Those are the kind of things. I know you've talked to a guy in your band, and he's become a Christian over time. It's a relationship. Yeah. I feel like there's other ways to evangelize besides dialogue and discussion and questions. Like, What are some of the other ways? Well, there's ways of service. There's ways of music. There's ways of, uh, you know, obviously, like, loving. And when someone does something for me, even, like... I feel like people need to experience Christ's love because when someone does it for me, like even as a Christian, it's hard for me to even experience Christ's love through other believers. Like someone's doing something for me, like that that softens your heart. It softens like, wow, someone loves me. Or, or if you go to someone, hey, let me, let me buy you something. Let me tell you why I'm going to just push back a little bit. I don't doubt that all of those ways are ways to build relationships and common ground with people, demonstrate Christ's love. But the gospel is one of those things that in the end, you have to tell it to somebody. They'll see the love. They'll understand who Jesus is, maybe. They'll see Jesus through you. They'll feel God's presence and his power. They'll, feel, they'll do a lot of things. But at some point, even Jesus said, go and preach my gospel. At some point after you've built that bridge, that relationship, that trust, that credibility, whatever it is, at some point, you've got to break down and say, this is what Jesus is all about. They may even ask, what makes you different? Why did you do this for me? Why do you love me so much? Why are you such a good friend all these years? And whatever it is, they lead to that point. But at that point, the invitation is there. At that point, you have to open up and say, all right, let me tell you. Because if you miss that point, that's why I said the top one is it's intentional. A lot of us just hope it accidentally happens. But the truth is, I don't think anybody's going to accidentally stumble in the kingdom. They've got to make a decision and you've got to present them at some point with an opportunity to do it. Maybe it's not you, it's somebody. I don't want to be shy about this. A lot of Christians stop. So while I've criticized some people who do nothing but knock on doors and try to say too much, and, and it's awkward and it doesn't work, the other side is just can be just as wrong, which is that they spend all their time in service and love and trying to be light and salt and all these kind of things, and you're different and you're cool and everything, but they never actually break down and say, there's something very important I have to tell you. But who said it had to be five minutes? That's the point. That's, that's where I think we're all missing it, is that a lot of us have this... If you follow this, it would be a five-minute conversation, probably. You'd like go through the outline and try to get them there, and man sinned, and he can't come back to God, and he's got to cross the bridge, and all of sin and fall short of the... And you go through that whole outline. 
But if you're doing it the way I think that Ryan's describing or other people are talking about it, what you're really doing is you're going through this over a relationship. The church is stuck between two extremes. They're the people who believe that we've got to win every soul, so that's their focus. Maybe it's the five-minute speech you're talking about. Get people to say yes because they're saving people from the fire. And then there's the people on the other extreme who are thinking that this is a lifelong journey, that we want people to do Christ's work on earth, be part of this whole thing, and eventually they'll get there. But their mistake is sometimes they never ask. They don't conclude that last part. They don't get to the part where they say, make a decision. I think both are extremes, which sometimes means they're both extremely unworkable. And there's probably a balance somewhere. Okay? So this series has been about looking at the different sides and trying to figure out where's the correct focus and balance. And for each of you, it may be different. Some of you, are, after this, are going to say, it's still awkward. I'm still not doing it. Okay? Read those scripture passages and realize that there's commandments to do it. Others of you are like, no, the only thing we need to be doing is knocking on doors, and I'd ask you, like, why that's not happening. Next week, we're going to talk about missions. Sounds like another one that everybody would vote for. Like, everybody going to go on missions? Everybody agree with missions? Yep. So we're going to look at it next week and see. Is it working? Clearly, Jesus commanded us to do it. We're just going to talk about what the church is doing with it, what's right about it, what's weird about it. So maybe think about it this week, like what you think about missions. What's your missionary experience? If I ask you the same questions next week about missions that I do about evangelism, how are you going to respond? Okay, so spend some time this week thinking about it. Bottom line about evangelism, God can use anything. So there's always going to be exceptions to rules. There's always going to be things that we just watch God do miraculously. So I'm not trying to knock it, and I'm not trying to build it up. I'm saying there's a biblical case that we should do it. The question is how. How do we do it? And that's really where you guys have to work it out. And then let's get to the practical level. Once you get comfortable with how you think you can do it, it should be an intentional thing that we're doing. Some of us have a gift. I don't, but some people do. Have a gift for it. But it doesn't say anything about being just for the gifted ones. Let's see some action, okay? Let's pray and uh, wrap up. We're trying to dissect where people are. It can be kind of a tough topic for us because we know in our hearts that you command us to do this that we wouldn't dare take away from the idea that this is supposed to be something you do and that you do through us and that your goal is to win over the whole world, Lord, anyone who would come. How can we, Lord, evangelize effectively? And Lord, it comes first from an understanding that you are the one who's in charge. Break our hearts open. Give us your heart, your eyes for the way that you see the world. Lord, we see this world and we feel for this world through the stain of sin. And that means that we're first selfish and inwardly focused. And we're not really about your business or about your kingdom or about your people. We're really about ourselves. And Lord, we have to overcome that. And we need supernatural help from the Holy Spirit to overcome that. And then, Lord, to turn to the people that you love and to help them to come into a conversation about your gospel about the good news, about your plan for salvation, about who you really are, and to take away the misgivings and misunderstandings that people have. Lord, you left it to us to evangelize the world. I don't know why you did that, because we're a selfish people. But Lord, because it's in our hands, the responsibility is so much greater. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who guides us. May that spirit be strong and stir in us and not give us much wiggle room to get out of the things that are about your people. And first and foremost, Lord, you want to see those people with you for eternity in heaven. 
we pray for the world and all those that are around us. May we be emboldened with more love to reach out to them. In your precious name, amen.